Hey there, welcome to the Grace Rancho weekly podcast where our goal is to help you, our church members, better understand the what and why behind all that we do here as a church. I'm Michael, I'm here with the amazing, wonderful, bearded Pastor Eric, and we have a guest today, Jordan Baker, um, senior, sorry, not senior pastor, lead pastor because you're young, of Grace Simi. Um, a lot of people might not know you necessarily. Uh, you, Grace Simi sent us out essentially to do this revitalization here in Rancho, uh, but that was three years ago. Um, well, so- it was three years ago from when we first heard about this thing. It's actually three years ago, close to the, the day that we actually were starting to decide to do this revitalization. Can you believe it's been three years, Jordan? Uh, it goes by incredibly fast, right. incredibly fast. So Jordan, we just want you to tell us a little bit about your life, uh, your family, and how ministry is going in CME right now. Yeah, I, uh, again, just appreciate you guys having me on, and I just want to reiterate what you said. Uh, So excited for what God is doing out in Rancho, Uh, and these two men, Eric and Michael, are two of our favorites. Uh, We had the pleasure, we had the opportunity to send Eric, along with some families, and partner with Michael and Grace Orange to revitalize Grace Rancho, which uh, was a great learning experience for all of us. Uh, None of us had really done anything like that before. Um, Eric grew up at our church uh, in more ways than one, uh, physically and spiritually and uh, in leadership. So uh, it was uh, really a great pleasure and honor to be a part of that whole thing. Uh, I've been a, a lead pastor Uh, in Simi Valley here for about seven or eight years now. Uh, That has gone by incredibly fast as well. Um, I started here when I was 25 years old. But not as the lead pastor, right? I was just, I was the lowly college director. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a great place to start. So at 25, um, did that part-time. I was still working as an RD at the Master's University used to be called the college, and I was going to seminary and kind of grew into that role. The church brought us out, my wife and I out full time. uh, And then we did young adult ministry, adult ministries, uh, and then kind of did a transition for three years into the lead pastor role. So since then, we've had three daughters. Uh, We have raised them in Simi Valley in our church. Uh, They are 13, 12, and 10. And uh, it's delightful to have all girls. Uh, couldn't figure out how to have boys, and I wasn't ready to have a fourth like Eric to try for the son. I remember when I remember Jordan when you announced to our college group that Aaron was pregnant with Morgan. It was a big deal. We we had That's been it. trying to have kids for three years, so it was a big deal. Uh, so yeah, it's just like I said, delightful to raise kids in a church like this. And, um, and since then, I think we have uh, really tried hard to retool the mindset of our church, to think about life in terms of not viewing church as a place where you're served, but where you serve and uh, that you're willing to, to be used, to sacrifice your time and even be sent um, from the church to help grow new churches. And so uh, we did that with Rancho. We're hoping to do that again in about a year and a half to two years and send out a team in, to the New England area mm-hmm. and plant a church there. So hopefully 
hopefully this this wasn't the last time we did something like this, but the first of many. So, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad that we're able to have you on our little podcast. And um, you mentioned most of the people who came out on the revitalization know you because we were sent from CUNY. Um, uh, but many of our listeners haven't gotten able to meet you. And so I thought it'd be cool for them to hear a little bit about you because a lot of the way I think about ministry has to do with your ministry and how you uh, led the church um, over there and see me, how you equipped us on staff with you. And I think, I don't know if it's the main, main thing, I think it's one of the big, um, big things I learned there at Grace See Me, and particularly from observing uh, you in the way you do ministry, um, is the way you value people, the priority you put on people, uh, on relationships, and how uh, the church, if we're going to be functioning the way that Christ designed the church, we have to have a, put a high premium on, on relationships. It can't be just this detached, kind of cold, dis, you know, we dispense truth. Uh, from our ivory tower but we are uh, investing in the lives of, of people mm. so i wanted that to kind of be the, the conversation we'll we'll have the conversation um about biblical relationships and then try to even bring it to the, the, the idea of unity uh, the idea of unity amidst a whole bunch of different opinions mm. uh, i know every pastor is have to ask these questions and we have the election tomorrow um and uh, there's all kinds of different ideas about what should happen, what needs to happen, how Christians are to live. And, and we all need to fight for unity during this time. So um, let me ask you this question to get us, get us started. Uh, why should we even talk about biblical relationships? Uh, why is, why does this matter? Um, shouldn't we just uh, preach the word and make sure that we're saying things that are true and then let the word do the work. What does, what do, what do, what do relationships have to do with the work of the ministry? Yeah, I think it's a, a great question, a pivotal foundational question uh, to think about. And uh, first off, I just want to say, um, I think the commonality we all have, and I hope we will continue to have, is our priority on preaching of God's word, right? I mean, we we will die on the hill that says the Bible is sufficient and authoritative for all of life. And so um, anything we talk about in terms of relationship has to come out of that reality. So we're not detaching that from, from that foundational reality. Yep. But I think um, uh, the tradition, at least that I came out of, at least in college and then in seminary, is sometimes this idea that if you preach it, they will come. And if you preach it, they will change. And if you preach it, then things will grow. And there's some truth to that, for sure. We're going to continue to preach. And I think Ranch is a great um, story of that, where there's not a lot of program there, but a lot of preaching and, and preaching well done. And that's feeding the people in a right way. But um, I come back to that question in a couple of ways. One is God, by nature, is relational. Um, by, by nature, he created mankind to have a relationship with him and even after the fall when that relationship was broken he before the foundation of the world before the world began he he had a plan of having christ come to purchase us back and reconcile us back to a relationship so relational the relational aspects of 
the Christian life are embedded in the story of salvation, create, sorry, creation and salvation. Um, and second, I think I always took our, my cue in ministry from Jesus himself. So if you look at how Jesus operated in ministry, uh, it's pretty clear that he cared for people in mass. He cared for people in general. He healed the masses. He taught the masses. But for his three and a half plus years of three or three and a half years of ministry, he spent a majority of his time with 12 men. Uh, and even of those 12, there were three on the kind of inner circle that that he spent the most time with. And so uh, I think that was also then emulated by Paul in the New Testament. He had a traveling companion. He was always training up. He was always having somebody with him. And if you read the New Testament epistles, uh, Paul's unafraid to name names. I mean, he names names. He's not just talking about principles in general. He's talking about actual people he had relationship with, both that he saw growth in, that he gave thanks for, and also who were in position to hurt him. Uh, you see there's a lot of wounding by that Paul endured through those relationships. So um, I think that's, that's why biblically it's so important. I think anyone who's been growing and maturing in their Christian life can point to uh, people as a as a source or a reason. Obviously, it's God's word working through the Spirit uh, to do that. But I think Eric, you and I have attested to this that uh, there's probably a handful of sermons that were clarion sermons that we heard when we were young, uh, maybe a handful that we could remember and made an impact. Because I think preaching is a cumulative effect. But we can point to many people who yeah. had impact in our life. Yeah. And so um, I think that's where the whole idea of discipleship uh, comes in is yeah. we're embodied creatures created that way and we respond well in relationships. Yeah. Yeah. We would, we, we would say that, that relationships, as you mentioned, God designed humanity to be in relationship. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. God is Trinitarian humans. Uh, value relationship. We were made ma male and female. It's not good that man should be alone. Um, so that's just embedded into the very nature of being human. Um, but we're also saying there's, there's something distinctive about Christian biblical relationships. Um, we're not just talking about relationship in general uh, or relationships period. We're talking about there's something unique when we're, we're talking about how we value relationships and we want to cultivate um, a church that values deep relationship. We're talking about something distinct. You want to talk about that for a little bit, Jordan? What's, what, is, what is distinct about Christian relationship and sets it apart from something that two unbelievers uh, can have in the world? Yeah. So I was thinking about that question. What is, like, how would I bring that down how would i say that in a in a defined way yeah. and uh, i think and maybe this is the wrong way to say it but i'll try to unpack it a little bit but um i think a big difference in biblical relationships is the relationships i have with believers and actually with unbelievers but for sure with believers there's an agenda that i have now that sounds bad to have an agenda uh so let me let me move move That's, from that seems in, in modern, you know, the way we talk about relationships, to have an agenda. Yeah. Seems it's, not a, it's not a hidden agenda. So yeah. it's not like it's, a, it's an overtly stated agenda. 
I actually have an agenda with unbelievers as well. But yeah. I think it sets it apart from biblical relationships to non-biblical because I think relationships that happen in the world, I guess there's an agenda, but it's a very loose one. It's like, I don't know, we're buddies, we're friends, we like to have fun, we like the Dodgers. and Self-centered. So yeah, it's uh, it, and and I like this guy. We go out for drinks and we have a good time. Like that's that's the extent of the agenda, and a and a biblical relationship has to have something greater than that as its goal. And so if I look at Colossians one twenty eight and twenty nine, that the maturation of the saints is a goal, right? We want to see people grow in maturity in Christ. Well, that happens relationally, and that sets an agenda for a relationship. So if I'm in a relationship with somebody, my goal, maybe goal is a better word than agenda, my goal is to see them become more mature in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, that's going to set the tone for what we actually do in that relationship. That doesn't mean we can't have fun. It doesn't mean we can't express common interests and those things. But all of those things are, are building toward a greater goal. Yeah. And then the way that the scripture just describes friendship and the one another's in relationship, there's this goal or agenda there, right? Like I, I every day need encouragement not to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Mm -hmm. I need people in my life encouraging me, like Hebrews 3 says. I need friends who will confront me. I need somebody who's going to speak the truth to me, even though it will wound me, like Proverbs 27, 6 says. So and why you're, you're hitting something just interesting I want to unpack. You, you said it's important that a friend does that. Yeah. Um, not to say that, it, you know, you need to have this, I don't know, there's some level of relationship that you must have before you are allowed to say anything to a believer, you know, about their life. Um, but there is a sense in which when these, when, when this type of friendship is developed, that it gives us a pathway to be able to um, help them in ways that we couldn't if we didn't have that relationship. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where um, the metaphor that scripture uses of family within mm -hmm. the church is very helpful um, because we are talking about, there's really a, a thin, if any differentiation between friendship, discipleship, mm -hmm. family within the church, right? Where these are really overlapping ideas. And so um, there's a different loyalty and a different um, uh, commitment that you have to a family member than a buddy at work. Yeah. And so the gospel <laughs> uh, that brings us into God's family is the same gospel that unites us together yeah. in, in biblical relationship. And I think there's wisdom in that. It doesn't mean that everybody that's a fellow believer, I can ask them, Hey, so what's your sin struggle today, brother? Like, I, I'm not sure we, we go to that level right away. I think there's wisdom in that. But it means that I'm not looking for the same commonality I would in the world. Commonality in the world, friendship in the world is based on commonality. Uh, I like the same sports team. I like to do the same activity. I go to the same job. The commonality we have as believers is Christ. So if Christ is our commonality then then now we can we can begin to move into these areas because it should be hopefully uh mutually agreed upon mutually desired mutually helpful um in those areas yeah so i'll just and i'll just say i mean we've been thinking about this a lot because there's a few men uh in my life that are faithful at the church they um 
work a, a, a consistent job and they're absolutely lonely. Hmm. Um, these men in particular, and I think men in general, we're lonely because we don't, <laughs> I think biblical friendship is hard. Yeah. So they, they have, they'll say they have friends, they have friends that they do stuff with, but in the church, they feel disconnected sometimes. And uh, I think a lot of times, even believing men, and probably women too, but believing men, there was a bit that, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched that from Brian Regan, where he has a, there's a group that went golfing. This is how men do it, right? You go golfing, you're together for five or six hours in the day, and he gets home and his wife asks him, like, how's your friend doing? He just got a divorce. He goes, I have no idea how he's doing. I know he got a new golf club, but like, what do you, you didn't ask him anything after six hours of being together? I, I didn't at all, right? So, so we like the activity, we like hanging out, but, and then we kind of go yeah. home. Like we, we don't know what, what to do once we, once we get together. So you're saying one of the, the, the marks of a biblical friendship is that I have, a, I have an agenda with you. And my agenda, I mean, it reminds me of First Timothy 1, the aim of our charge is love. Like I have, a, I have an aim in mind with my ministry. Paul's saying to Timothy, I want you to have an aim with your ministry. And the aim at the end of the day is, is love. Um, and so there's a, there's a goal, there's a, a target that you're aiming for. So in a biblical relationship, um, you, you're, you're taking initiative, you're proactive, you're seeking to know and love and care for others. Uh, not because they're like you, but because you have uh, the same Lord and Savior, the spirit that indwells. Uh, this just comes to mind. This is really not our agenda, but I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. There's also seems to be, uh, and maybe it's a, a thing with men, but on the receiving side of friendship, because friendship is, is two ways. And so you might have someone really trying to get to know you and demonstrate love for you, and you might not even be willing to receive that. Um, talk about a little bit of, about that kind of struggle that often takes place in, in relationships. You know, it's funny you bring that up because I was just, just talking with one of our elders uh, this last weekend. And um, we were talking about how we're trying to pursue certain men in our church. And he made the comment, um, because I've been meeting with this guy for over a year, but I'm not sure he's I think he thinks he's my friend, but he's really not my friend. And I said, why? He goes, he never asked me about me. He That's never, right. it's everything is, is driven about him. And the conversation goes about him. The responses are about him. And I'll go, man, that's so true that in a, in, in a true relationship, it is a mute, it should be a mutually beneficial, uh, mutually encouraging time. Now, obviously, if you have one that's more mature than the other, it's going to be weighted a little differently. But yeah, there's a uh, mutuality in relationship that uh, part of, I think, the reason why men in particular, maybe people in general, don't have more friends is or more relation, difficult relationships is uh, you want those relationships on your terms. You want, you want people to line up with your preferences. You're not willing to give up your, your, the, your likes and your interests for the interests of somebody else. I mean, to put it biblically, you're not willing to prefer another in love. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and it's funny, I, I've said it before, tongue in cheek, in our church, I wish, I wish there was a way to maybe teach a class on how to make a friend. 
right? Like, and, and maybe you can, I go, maybe you can systematize, probably Michael can, he'll like systematize it and there's 10 it. points and out pops a friend, but like <laughs> it's, there's some intuitive parts, but really just some character parts where you, you actually have to care about somebody else. And I've learned, I'm a pretty outgoing guy, so I want to be careful that introverted people have a harder time doing this. But if, if I'm trying to build a relationship with somebody, the, the quickest, easiest, tried and true way to do that is I say, can we get together? And I just ask them questions mm. about their life. Yeah. And, and if you can do that, then people really will talk. And, and invariably, at some point, it will be reciprocal. They'll start asking about your life. Mm-hmm. And that's when you have a chance to say, here's the reason for the hope I have in Jesus Christ. Here are some things that I've learned and, and off you go. But yeah, it, one of the reasons why people don't have real relationships is they're not willing to die to their, their own selves or are willing to give up those highly preferential things yeah. they really want. And, and it's going to, that is helpful to answer the last question you're going to have about unity in the church in the midst of mm-hmm. some highly volatile preferential things that we're that we're dealing with. That's good. If you're listening, you might have forgotten that Michael's here, but he is. Michael, you got anything to say? Oh, I'm here. Um, I, you know, just piggybacking on to what Jordan just said, I think another hindrance is pride and people in the church and it goes back to what really unifies us but people in the church are afraid or uh, just don't develop relationships with people they view as lesser or or so different than themselves and they let worldly things get in the way the way someone dresses the way someone talks how they're awkward they're perceived how they perceive them to be mature or not mature there's all these issues that people let get in the way and they won't even initiate a relationship or real conversations with someone um, because they view themselves far too highly. And so I think humility is just, you, you have to have humility to have a real relationship because you have to understand, I need that person. They don't need me necessarily. So I'll, let me just piggyback off that because that's fascinating you say that because A, James 2 is true, right? I mean, we do show partiality to people, like it's a tried and true thing. But yeah, um, um, even in the church, it's like one of the hardest things to break, I think, in our thinking is to try to love somebody who's unlike me. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I, I think that's why I say family works because my brother, who I love dearly, who I'll always be committed to, is so unlike me. Like my brother's the guy that I would actually never probably be, be friends with in a worldly context. Like, uh, and, and yet he's my brother. So I'm forced into, in a good way, forced into a relationship with them. That's the beauty of the church. The makeup of the church are people unlike me that I, that I choose to actually love. And if I'm going to love them, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue them and enter into a relationship with. So, and when I do that, uh, there's a passage in, I think it's second Corinthians that talks about, yeah, I'll go, it's even, uh, Rehoboam's council that he set up, right? You set up people who are just like you and what you produce is ignorance. <laughs> you actually don't grow because you're not challenged to think differently. There's not a, a variation of wisdom. And so I love it in the church. I get to know all kinds of different, weird, delightful, glorious people that I never, like there's nothing else in the world, no other mechanism in the world to do that. 
Yeah. That, that's why, that's one of the reasons why we don't create, you know, a service for the, the hip young musicians where the, the band is rocking and then a service that's all hymns and we divide according to tastes and preferences is because uh, when we're all there at the same time in the same place, singing the same songs, hearing the same sermon, you got, you know, the people with gray hair and many years under their belts and the, the young, you know, 20 something who thinks he knows everything you sit next to each other. There's so much to learn in that setting to lay down your, your preferences in, in love and service to others. Um, it's something we need. It, it helps us as we look around a room like that, it helps us to remember we're actually not the center of the universe <laughs> and that we need to, to give other people, um, as Philippians two, you mentioned earlier, consider them more significant than ourselves. And it means that my preferences aren't, right yeah They're not just right and so so it's fascinating again you, jesus demonstrated that where all of all of his disciples i guess were jewish but you had a zealot a tax collector a fisherman i mean you had people from galilee and some from the south i mean he he brought all those men together and there's no way those men would be together in any other circumstance and then mm -hmm. in the church jews greeks barbarians scythians slave free men women rich poor god brings them all together and so it's actually this really delightful group that you can be known, that you can love and be loved and, and learn from other people. But that all looks good on paper. Right. And, and Michael, I want to bounce off one other thing. You, you said pride and then you, you mentioned it. It's fear. So <laughs> fear is a driver that keeps us away from relationship because I'm finding that a lot of people don't want to be known. Yeah. Like they don't want to have their life exposed. They don't want you to actually get into uh, what's going on in their heart, what's going on in their, in their family life, what's going on at their work, at their work uh, life. So, mm -hmm. so fear keeps people away, which fear is a derivative of pride. Yeah. So humility is a solution, but fear keeps people away. Yeah, that's right. So how about this? Talk to the person who's in a church and, and they're just really having a hard time building relationships with people because they, they, they just don't feel like people understand them. Uh, they don't feel like people, uh, they don't feel like they have anything in common. Uh, but they do think, you know, I, I, I know it's right to go to church. I, I do want to obey that, but they're kind of just not, um, they're not opening their lives up. They're not, investing in other people um they've kind of hovered around the fringe uh talk to that person what, what's your counsel to someone who's kind of in that scenario yeah so so again there's no easy way to make a friend right and i and i recognize that i can make a friend with an unbeliever or a believer pretty easily uh because that's how god's geared me i understand a lot of people have a hard time making that step um, but the first I think is, is recognize this, that it is a scheme of the evil one. It's a scheme of the devil to try to keep us away from each other and to isolate us. Mm -hmm. uh, again, if God has built us for relationship, a schematic then would be to say, how do I convince people that actually no one cares about them, that no one's like them, and the best thing they do is stay away? Yeah. I mean, that's a victory for, for our enemy. Yeah. And so uh, I hear so part of it is we have to think rightly about it to say, I'm going into a situation where 
people are not like me. And yet I have everything in common because of Christ. And I can't, uh, we tell all our new members that are coming in, we're saying it's not a matter of if we're going to hurt you, if we're going to sin against you, if we're going to let you down, if we're going to fall short of your expectations. It's just a matter of when. That's good. Because most people will say, let's keep them out of relationships is bad relationships in the past. Mm. I've had a bad experience. I've gone to a church and no one, no one talked to me. I've been in church and I was, I was uh, gossiped about. So you have to say, I have to see beyond that and see I'm moving in with a bunch of imperfect people and I'm adding to the imperfect nature of that group. Yeah. So, so some of it, I have to desire it. I have to be proactive in it. I have to actually stop and pray, God, show me or, or help me engage rightly with the people in front of me and then, and then take a step of risk. Every relationship is risky. Yeah. Every relationship, you're risking getting hurt. Every relationship, you're risking getting burned or name your, your word that you use there. Um, and then you have to, you, you literally have to trust the Lord saying, I know this is good for me. I know this is right. And so, and so I want to enter in. And if I can get into my mindset saying, I'm entering in, not for me, I'm saying, how can I serve? How can I help? And I, my wife is an introvert. Um, I can make a friend with a pole and have a great conversation. She uh, takes a lot longer to, to find a path of, of relationship. And, um, and so um, for her, it's, it's actually that you have, to, you have to begin to trust the Lord. Uh, you have to trust that this is, this is a good thing. This is something that he wants you to do and open up your life and open up your time and take a step and say, maybe, uh, oh, this was my point. I kept talking until I found my point. <laughs> my point with my wife is I had to tell her there's other people in the church who are feeling just like you. Yeah. You go, go into a context, you think everybody fits and everyone belongs except me. And that's so not true, right? Like it's a fallacy. The reality is a majority of the people are looking for a friend and they're looking for somebody who cares. And so if you can be that one who will be a friend and actually cares about people, you'll have, you'll have an unending opportunity of biblical relationship. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, go ahead, Michael. Just, as we kind of shut it down here, we've got just a couple minutes left. Uh, let's we'll close with one last question to Jordan. Um, and he hinted at it earlier. A lot of division in our nation right now. Sometimes that has crept into the church, maybe on different issues uh, are more prevalent in different churches, uh, but we can kind of feel it at times, even if we maybe have big picture, same preferences, there's differences with a lot of things going on in the world right now, um, how we view them, how we think things should be going, and so forth. Uh, how can we in the church fight for unity right now? How should we fight for unity? And uh, I, I think, where should our unity be based? Yeah. No, I think and that's really the answer to the question. Um, we, I'm sure you guys are feeling the same thing we're feeling. Like there's an edge right now, both within our church and then in partnership with other churches um, and two big volatile areas are with race. Uh, what, what we're thinking through in terms of race relations and uh, racial equality or inequality and with election cycles. 
So um, I think three quick things, three quick things that are really important. Uh, in First Peter 2, it talks about uh, the role of government. It talks about uh, our role with um, as sojourners and aliens in this world. And then even when we're treated poorly, how do we think through it? And in the middle of that, it says we're to live as people who are free, but not use our freedom as a cover up for evil, but as servants of God, right? Like, so we're free. Like I'm free. My freedom in Christ means I could have, uh, I can think biblically through issues. I can come to conclusions. I can have preferences. I can have convictions. I'm free to do that, but I'm still bound as a, um, as a slave of Christ. Mm -hmm. So I'm only free. I'm only as free as I am, as long as I'm a slave of Christ, which means it's not about me. So I like my, my goal isn't to be right in every area or to convince you that you should think the same way I do politically or in other in other cultural areas. And so it that actually frees me up to disagree well. Like I think we need to learn to disagree well when it comes to non-salvific issues and and not the priority one clear biblical issues. So we need to learn to disagree well. Mm -hmm. And uh I've had some experience of that with some of the folks in our church who think radically politically differently than me. And I, and I can say this, I disagree with them. And I actually think they're wrong in some of those areas, but I love them and we're gonna discuss that and we're gonna keep talking and we're not gonna allow that to break our fellowship. Mm -hmm. It's not that I, we have commonality in Jesus Christ plus political agreements that, that creates unity, it's Christ. Yeah. This, the second one, and Michael, I'll give you credit, you hit on this earlier, but I, it's Ephesians 4.3, which the unity we have is brought about by the Spirit, right? It's, it's a supernatural thing. It's not just something we can conjure up. But the verses before that tell us how we get there. And it's basically, we walk in a manner worthy of the calling which with, with which we've been called. We show humility, we're gentle, we're patient, and we bear with one another in love. I'm just telling, like, if we do that, if we have that on our mind, like we actually walk in a manner worthy of how God has called us, we're right. humbling ourselves. We respond gently that we, uh, we actually uh, are patient with people and we bear with people, even if they have different opinions, and even if they're wrong, that we bear with them, then we can maintain unity. Mm -hmm. And the last, the last one, I think, is that we keep our mission in mind. If you would have asked me this question a year ago, when those these two big things were were not there, I would say, how do you maintain unity, unity in any church? Is you say there's a greater mission we have than to squabble about the things that divide us. There's so many more things we have in common than 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 um, than focusing on the things that we disagree with or could divide us. So when we're committed to a common mission, and it's not just reaching the loss, it's worshiping together, it's helping each other mature in Christ. When those things are the greater goal, we can overlook a lot of, a lot of differences and a lot of different preferences. So I think those are really important um, for the unity of the church, because what we're seeing now is churches that are off their mission, uh, churches that now make the focus on the po politics or racial issues, that once you get off mission, now, now you're dividing lines in the family that shouldn't be, shouldn't be divided. Yeah. 
That's excellent. I appreciate those, uh, those three things. And, um, I think we all need to hear and listen to those, those things and apply them and uh, practice them. Um, so, hey, we're going to wrap this up. Jordan, thanks so much. We love Grace Church of Simi Valley. We love what you're doing. We're, we're thankful for the role you played in even getting this church out here. Um, up up uh, where we are now, it couldn't have happened without your sacrifice to send people, send money. Um, by the grace of God, we would like to be doing the same uh, in the future as the Lord provides and leads to be able to continue sending out those for plants or revitalizations or whatever the Lord might has. Uh, so we're thankful for you um, and, and we're praying for you. Uh, real quick, last thing, um, any words of encouragement, last words to those out here who are listening, Grace Rancho members who are tuning in, any last words of encouragement you have? Yeah, I mean, again, even to, uh, to you two, to Ashley and Tammy who are listening, uh, I would say, uh, keep going. Don't grow weary. Keep going. Keep committed. Uh, um, lead out of conviction. Live out of conviction. Uh, so don't, don't get caught into the swells of culture all around you. And not only keep teaching the truth, keep modeling the truth uh, as pastors, as leaders of your church, but in your community. It's what the world needs. And we have, we have the absolute best news ever. If you're talking about in terms of business, which we shouldn't, but we have the best product ever. Like there is no, there is nothing else we could, we could give the world that would be better than the gospel. So if we, if we remember that, then man, let's, let's, let's be committed to that and focused on that. That's what the world needs. Amen. That's great. Hey, we can't leave without a book recommendation. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I've read a lot lately. I just got oh, one today, oh, but I relationships. Oh, on relationships. Yeah. The Jonathan Holmes book is, uh, uh that's a good one. Uh, uh, Jerry Bridges has one on, biblical relationships that I'd recommend. And um, yeah, I'll go with that one. I don't have it in front of me, but. You don't know what it's called? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you can look it up later and put it on your website. Jerry Bridges. On, on, on biblical relationships. Keep talking, I can, I can Google it. <laughs> Four ways to love? Sure. Five languages? No? No, no. <laughs> no? I can make something up. Uh, anyway. Hey, it's all good. Look up the Jerry Bridges book on relationships, people. Yeah, do it. It will benefit it. your soul, so says Jordan. <laughs> we love Jerry Bridges, so if, if he wrote one, Bible. I'm sure it's good. Yeah, also yeah. the Bible. There you go. Hey, well, thanks for joining us this week. Okay. Thank you, boys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man.